Turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. I'll give you a minute to turn there, but we'll read it before we do more of an introduction. Uh, If you bring a Bible from home, open that up. If you need a Bible, they're under the chairs in front of you. Even if you're not a Christian, but you're here visiting with somebody, uh, you're helped by having a Bible open. And you'll find 1 John on page 1,218 in those Bibles in front of you in those chairs. So give me just a minute to turn those pages or open up in your phone. And we'll be covering 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. Let me read it now. 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, it's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The dominant and unavoidable word in this passage is the word sin. It talks about denying sin, confessing sin. It talks about the forgiveness of sin, the cleansing of sin. In chapter 2, really a section that continues on, he'll talk about trying not to sin and the propitiation for our sins. We can't get away from this word. Over 50 years ago, the psychologist Carl Menninger released a book called Whatever Became of Sin. And his conclusion, 50 years ago, as he surveyed churches across America, is that there was a hesitancy to talk about sin, what he called sin with a capital I in the middle of it. He says, we'll talk about anxiety and depression and guilt, but not sin. We'll talk about error and infraction and mistakes, but not sin. If that was 50 years ago, how do you survey the landscape today? Have we, have we pulled back even further? And again, thinking just kind of generally, churches across America, uh, I think we've come up with other words to use that sometimes have some legitimacy. They're words that I use at times, but we might speak of brokenness or messiness or trauma, all of which have some value. We don't want to talk about, talk about sin. And the problem is, by removing the label of the problem, we separate ourselves from the solution. Because what we see throughout the word is that Jesus came to save sinners. What we are to confess is our sin. And if we don't want to label something as sin, we don't want to call it that, then we're left, I think, without a solution. The reality is that sin, it hurts people. It separates us from God. And in many ways, it's a dominant reality in our life. We are bumping up against our sin and other people's sins everywhere we turn. Even if you turn on the news, even a story that might seem small and silly, often in the midst of it is things that we would call sin. Like, like just yesterday, uh, I saw a story that, that popped up of a major scandal in the world of professional fishing. Any, any of you see that as well? Um, yeah, yeah, granted, yes. <laughs> Which I did not realize there were scandals in the world of professional fishing, but... It was talking about this one guy who's won several 
championships, and it was in a tournament where apparently there was major prize money, thousands of dollars on the line, and he got caught stuffing weights inside of the fish that he caught. Uh, I mean, there's video of like fights almost breaking out over this, and you think, okay, that's funny, that's silly, but then as you probe, what's going on? There's lying, stealing, things the Bible would call sin. When the other news stories, you read accounts of, of murder or kidnapping or theft. How many of the things that, that lead to stress in your life, and stress is complex. I don't mean to oversimplify it to say that anytime there's stress, there's sin. But how many of the things that are, you evaluate, these are stressful things in my life, or maybe from the sins of others against you? Consequences of your own sin that you're dealing with and processing that you feel trapped in? Often that is the case, not always. How much of parenting has to do with helping kids sort out sin in their life? Not all. Some is just childishness, it's development, it's foolishness, but some is certainly sin. And and we're, we're disciplining for that, we're correcting, we're teaching for that. Our own sin comes out in parenting. Cannot avoid it. We bump into it constantly. In my experience as a new Christian, I wonder if, if any of you can relate to this. I, I became a Christian 25 years ago when I was in high school. I was 16 years old. And I understood the gospel when I came to Christ. I understood Jesus died for my sins. I, I'm trusting in him. He took my sins. He's, I'm forgiven because of him. But what, what do I do now when I sin? I, I'm saved, but what do I, what do, I do now? I I still saw myself sinning. I would lose my temper. I would, I would say something that I ought not to. And any, any number of things. I would act selfishly. And I felt stuck. What do I do, what do, I do now? Did, did, did I lose my salvation? Is the expectation that after you come to Christ you will never sin again? Is, is that the expectation? What do I do? This passage will tell us what to do. This passage is primarily written to believers. Those that are already saved, they've already trusted in Christ. They've embraced this message of forgiveness in Jesus, but they still struggle with sin. And there's three wrong ways that we're tempted to deal with sin that are addressed here. Three wrong ways, and then the right way that it walks through for what you can do practically when you lose your temper with your kids. When you steal. You steal from work. You... Any number of things you, you do wrong, what do you do then? This passage will tell you. We'll see it really in, in two parts, although there's repeating themes throughout. The first part we'll see is that we're not to minimize sin. We are to walk in the light. We're not to minimize sin. We are to walk in the light. Look again at verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. It, it really repeats some of what was in the first few verses, in verses 1 to 4, if you were here last week, you might remember this. If not, just to kind of catch you up. In the opening of 1 John, he explains that the message he's telling is one that he heard, saw, experienced from Jesus himself, and he's passing on. And he says again now, the message we heard from him, from Jesus himself, and we're announcing to you, and it's a theological message. Look at the second half of verse 5. Yeah, verse 5, he says, this is the message it is something about God. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. It's a theological principle about God that you'll see has immense impact on your life. 
in, in seminary, when I was studying to be a pastor, uh, one of my professors, who was our theology professor, his, his tagline he used often is bringing theology to life. Because he says too often theology remains kind of this academic exercise and we separate it from real life. And he wanted theology to impact our lives. And that's what John is doing here. He'll tell us about God. God is light. And they'll say, here's why it matters to you. But let's consider that. What does it mean to say that God is light? In him there is no darkness at all. Note that it doesn't say that God is the source of light. He is lit by the light. He reflects the light. It says he is light. Well, to, to consider what that means, I want you to think about life in the ancient world here and how precious light was. Right now, we don't even think about light. You just you walk into a room, you turn on the light switch, you don't even think about it unless you're a dad and you probably think about it a lot, like turn off the lights, right? But most of us, we just, we just you want light, you just flip on. In the ancient world, that was not the way it was. Light was rare and light was expensive. Jane Brock, she has a book, it's called Brilliant, The Evolution of Artificial Light. And she traces the development of, of just that. How did people light their world after the sun went down? And she explains that for much of history, that was a very difficult thing to do. She describes people like in Scotland. Uh, they had a particular bird called the storm petrel that was, was a very oily bird. And they would catch it and dry it, and they would put a wick down its throat and light it as like a candle, which I'm sure smelled great. Uh, um, that was the only way they could, could get light. And it was short-lived and it was expensive. In ancient Babylon, you had to work a full day, a day's worth of wages, to be able to afford 10 minutes of light at night. And that was if you took all your wages and put it towards light because it was expensive to get oil and things that they could burn. And so what that meant practically is most people lived in the darkness after the sun went down. No way to light the world around them. Productivity stopped. Anything they were fearful of, they could not see. It got better by the 16th century when they started using whale blubber for oil and light their homes that way. Difficult to get, not great for the whales, but it was better. The big jump came in the 1800s with the use of kerosene coming from uh, petroleum. And by the mid-1800s, instead of a full day's labor getting you 10 minutes of light, a full day's labor got you five hours of light. And so they were able finally to, to stay up after dark and uh, to get more work done. The biggest jump, of course, came with electric lights. We're not burning kerosene in here, right? We have electric lights because it is far cheaper. And so when you think of the power grids that go into that, the developments, now an average day's labor gets you 20,000 hours of light. More than two years. You don't, that's why you don't even think about it. You just turn on the light switch because it is so cheap. But going back to this time, that was not the way it was. Light was rare. Light was expensive. They lived in darkness primarily after the sun went down. And John says, God is light. He is light. There is no darkness in him at all. Probably means two things. Morally perfect and completely truthful. He was morally Perfect. There's no darkness in him at all, not even a hint of it. We think of the way darkness is used that way in a passage like Romans 13, 12. The night is almost gone, the day is near, therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's an admonition to us to lay aside the deeds of darkness, but that's a description of sin being described as darkness. And it says God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. Psalm 5.4 says the same thing in explicit terms about God. 
You are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness. No evil dwells within you. If that seems obvious to you, that has not been the case throughout history as people are encountering the true God and seeing the way that he is in contrast to, say, the gods of the Greek and Romans who were vindictive and cruel and, I mean, not real. I'm not trying to say they were real, but that's what they were living under is these gods who are every bit as vindictive as people but more powerful. And to learn that God is completely powerful and completely good was revolutionary. God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. He's completely truthful. But here's the application. Look at verse 6. Because God is like that, he is light. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. This is the first of these, will be three false claims in this section. The first one is this, that my sin's no big deal. I I can continue on in a habit of sin, uh, practicing it, and still be close to God. God God doesn't really care. It's not that big of a deal. I I can have fellowship with him. I can be close with him and yet walk in darkness. Walk in a, meaning a perpetual pattern. Not a slipping up into sin, but a perpetual pattern that I'm minimizing and still stand close to God. No. If we say that, we're lying. And we're not practicing the truth. Meaning we're not literally doing the truth. This is what Jesus has in mind in John 12, 46, where he says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me, that's our response of belief, will not remain in darkness. There is something about believing in him that pulls us out of the darkness. Now, this is not saying the believer in fellowship with God will never sin. In fact, he'll be very specific in the coming verses that that's not what he's saying. We can't, we can't pretend that we don't sin. We can't have this idea of I have to live perfectly or I can't be in fellowship with God. That's not the solution. The solution in verse 7 is this. But if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light... We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. The solution is not never sin. Although, of course, we should try not to sin. Chapter 2, verse 1 is going to say those very words. But it's when we sin, we don't minimize it. We don't say it's no big deal. I can, I can have fellowship with God and have my sin. No, we, we bring it to the light. We bring it to the light. We bring it to the open. We're truthful about it. We walk in the light. Sin is like, is like mold. If you've ever dealt with mold problems in a home, it thrives in the dark where it's hidden. But exposed to the light, exposed to the sunlight, it goes away. And in the same way, if we keep sin hidden and minimized and in the dark, it will fester. And we might pretend we're close to God, but we won't really be. But if we'll bring it to the light and we're honest about it, We have fellowship, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. So, if you feel distant in your relationship with God, you feel a coldness, you feel a separation, a question to ask yourself is, is there hidden sin? Is there there a minimizing of sin? Is there something going on in my life? I just want to pretend it's no big deal, but it's eating away at my conscience. Bring it to the light. Talk about how to do that in this next section. Because the next part, he deals with not minimizing it, but, but also not denying it, not, 
Don't deny that there is sin in your life. Confess it. In this contrast, it keeps going back and forth. He says now in verse 8, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. And it's repeated in a similar way in verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the first false claim is to say my sin's no big deal. The second false claim is to say, like what, what sin? I don't, have any, I don't really have any sin. And he says if we do that, we're deceiving ourselves. What does that look like? What does it look like when somebody would say, I have no sin? It's, it's typically not that, saying I don't do anything wrong, but it's, it's always having somebody else to blame or always having another label for it besides sin. You know, it's this person, it's this situation, it's the people I'm around, it's no big deal because they do it. It's on and on and on. Instead of just saying, God, this is wrong, this is wrong. Here's an example. This is retold by Andrew Delbanco, who was a professor at Columbia University. He was doing research on Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, these, these, these groups of people who struggle with alcoholism gather together, and part of it is admitting their struggles, and in that admitting it, you know, finding help and strength with each other. And so he was attending various meetings and doing research there, and he describes being at one meeting in the basement of a church in New York City. And a young man got up dressed very nice, very nice clothing, you know, very, very clean, professional-looking young man. And as he started walking through his story, Delbanco said that, all the mistakes were due to the injustice of betrayals of others. He always talked about how he was going to avenge himself on people that wronged him. Gave the impression of a grievously wounded pride. Talked about defending himself, justifying himself, believing in himself, taking control of his life, all while blaming all of his problems on others. And then Dobanco describes how in the midst of kind of hearing this young man blame everybody else and not take responsibility, uh, another man leaned over to him. This man had sunglasses on, even in the basement, dreadlocks, leaned over, and he said, I used to feel that way too before I achieved low self-esteem. And, and what he means by that is, he said, I, I had to see myself honestly. We jokingly describes as low self-esteem there. I had to see the problems were not these other people, although other people contribute. It's not circumstances, it's not that I just need to believe in myself more. It's, no, I, I needed to see myself for what I was. And when we don't, it says we are deceiving ourselves. That's the language that John uses. And the solution in verse 9 is to confess. If we confess our sins, to confess is the opposite of denying. It's the opposite of minimizing. It's to to bring it to the light and to be honest about it, to, to say the same thing about it that God would say about it. It's described in Proverbs 28, 13 this way. He who conceals his transgressions, transgressions is another word for sin, will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. The opposite of concealing is this confessing and forsaking, not hiding it, but acknowledging it, being honest about it, seeing as, as God already sees it. There's never a sin that you're going to bring to God that he doesn't already know about. Right? Par parenting is sometimes like that. Your, parent, your kids will bring something to you that they had successfully hidden, and, and you'll be surprised. God is never that way. 
There's never anything that you've been denying and hiding and you bring to him. And he says, what? He knows exhaustively, completely. We're not surprising him with anything. We're bringing to the light. We're saying the same thing about it that he does. We're saying, God, this was wrong. When I said this, when I thought this, when I did this, you call it sin and you're right. We say the same thing about it that God does. And when we do that, it tells us two more things about God and two things he does. Again at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous. Two more attributes of God. To forgive and to cleanse. Let's, let's think about those attributes. He is faithful. Meaning he will do what he says that he will do. And God says he will forgive and he's faithful to do it. Sometimes people will say or think, and maybe you've caught yourself in this sometimes, they'll say, my sin's too much. It's too big. God, God couldn't forgive me of this. I've sinned too many times. It was too big of a deal. It was too much hypocrisy. It was too ever. God couldn't forgive me of it. On the surface, that sounds humble. But in reality, it is blasphemous. And do you see why? It's because God says, if you confess, I will forgive. He says, there's nothing too big that cannot be paid for by the death of Christ on the cross. And you say, hmm, I'm not so sure. No, God is faithful. And he says he will forgive and he will forgive. He is faithful and he is righteous. Think about the way that is described in Romans 3 as it talks about the same dynamic. Romans 3, starting in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all means all of us. And that'll come up in the, next, in the next verse when somebody's tempted to say, I don't really have sin. God says, no, we all do. Being justified, meaning to be declared righteous. The righteousness of Jesus given to you as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation. A big word we're actually going to talk about next week. It's in 1 John 2, verse, uh, verse 2. So we'll come back to that. In his own blood through faith, this was to demonstrate what? His righteousness. First John says he is faithful and righteous. Perfectly righteous, perfectly good. Because in the forbearance of God, he passed over sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the justifier is the one who has faith in Jesus. One who has faith in Jesus, he forgives. He gives his righteousness too. But his righteousness is demonstrated because on the cross... These two attributes come together. God's justice, where he needs to punish sin, and God's mercy, where he wants to show mercy to sinners. And at the cross, his justice and mercy are both satisfied because Jesus takes the penalty for our sins, and we get God's mercy when we come to him in faith. So he is faithful and righteous to forgive and to cleanse. But verse 10 comes back one more time to that wrong response. Instead of confessing, instead of bringing it to the light, it says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Do you see the progression? First it said, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. If, if we say we can have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, deceiving ourselves. It, it says that we are, we are lying. And Sorry, first it says just lying. Second, it says we are deceiving ourselves. And now it says we are making him a liar. Why would it say that? Why are we making God a liar if we say we have no sin? Because God says we have sin. We already read it in Romans 3.23, but to come back, it says all have sinned. 
And to say, I have no sin, is to say that this verse really says, all have sinned except me. I've escaped that. No, the reality of it is that all is all of us. And when we deny our sin, when we say it's not there, when we say we have nothing to be forgiven of, we're saying, God, you're, you're lying about humanity by saying this. And it reveals, at the end of verse 10, that his word is not in us. His word needs to be in us. Not just that we think it's a special book, not that we have five Bibles on the shelf at home, but that his word is in us. Because as his word is in us, we see that this is what it says about us. We see sins specified and detailed, and we see his solution over and over and over again. So his word must be in us so that we know that. How can we have confidence to do this? How can we have confidence that I'm not going to minimize my sin, but I'm going to bring it to the light, that I'm going to confess it. That's a scary thing. How do we know that we can really do that? It's because of how it goes on, and it's what we'll see next week, but I want to give you a little taste of it. If you still have your Bibles open, look at how chapter 2 begins. My little children. It's a term of affection, of care. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. It's not an excuse to sin. Well, he's going to forgive me. I'm just going to do it. No. I said, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He himself is the propitiation, meaning he takes away the wrath. We'll talk about that next week. For our sins. Why can we do this? It's because of Jesus. So we don't need to hide. So we don't need to deny. We can confess. So, so what's, the, what's the application? Hopefully you've seen it all along. I just want to put a finger on it. Three things. Ask yourself these questions. Is there anything hidden that I need to bring to the light? Is there anything hidden? Is there anything minimized? Is there anything that your parents don't know about, your friends don't know about, but is dragging your soul down to where you just... You feel like a hypocrite. You, you can't get close to God. You're minimizing it. You're hiding it, denying it. Bring it to the light. There's a weight that is released. Bring it to the light. Call it what it is. Be honest with God. Uh, address it with others if needed. If it's something that is affecting other people and is a sin against others, bring it to the light there as well. But in particular, bring it in full honesty to God. If sin is like mold and it thrives in the dark, bring it to the light. Related is this question. Is there anything you're minimizing you need to confess? Is there anything that you've just been saying, it's no big deal, everybody does it, it's not as bad as these other people, at least I'm not, you know, whatever it might be. Don't minimize it. Confess it. Bring it to God. Call it what he calls it. Be specific. Be biblical. Make it a pattern of your day before you close your eyes at night. But also, as soon as the Spirit convicts you during the day, as soon as something happens, it's the quietness of your own mind and heart. Say, Lord, that was wrong. Will you forgive me? That was sin. I should not have said that. I should not have thought that. I should have not have let my eyes go here. I should not have clicked there. God, will you forgive me? So as soon as it happens, but it's a good pattern just at the end of your day. Say, Lord, is there anything that I've overlooked today? Is there anything you want to convict me of? Please do so. Shine your light on it that I can confess it. And then third is this question. Is God's word in you? Verse 8, 
describes how the truth is not in us if we say we have no sin. Verse 10 says his word is not in us. Really a parallel there. And so that's the question. Is God's word in you? Are you making time for it? Are you you opening it during the week so that God can use his word by his spirit to put a finger on things that are sin and in his mercy bring them to light so that you confess that fights against self-deception. It exposes and shines a light. God's word is described as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Are you, are you, are you hiding that instead of bringing it to the light? And it reminds you over and over again of the, the hope that you have in Christ. Let's pray.